Lord, and glory to God, we're going to get into the Word of God today. Oh, hi there for everybody at wherever you're watching from. Might be in your house. I know you're not on your boat today. You might be in your fish house, but um, it's chillier out today than all week. But uh, praise God, we're supposed to warm up this up into the 40s. And I even saw some 50s on the 10-day forecast coming out. And so I thought, wow, that it's early for us, but I'm not going to complain. Thank you, Jesus, for an early spring. The farmers will love it, and, but we're going to have to pray for rain for the farmer. But this is New Life. Welcome. This is New Life Church in Wapiton, North Dakota. If you live in the tri-state area, um, we would love to have you come and be with us live in service, even though you're Facebook live in a, with us now, or you're on YouTube watching us, or listening to us on our podcast, um, whichever station we are on. We're on multiple stations now with our podcast, and I'm hoping to expand some of those things um, in the near future, because the more I can talk to you about Jesus, the better you're going to grow in Christ. Amen? And so, praise the Lord. We're glad, though, that you've joined us, and I'm glad for everybody who's here. And uh, it's, boy, um, you're, you're missing something lovely um, to see all of us here. And so, praise the Lord. Amen. Um, so, take your Bibles and join me by taking your Bibles, opening up to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 38, 34 through 38. And... Um, my message is entitled, You Better Decide the Time Is Now. Yeah, better decide the time is now. And then you, of course, to all of you here can see the screen. And I got in large letters, what else I say there? Take up your cross. You better decide it. We are living in a different day. The day of easy church looks like it is over. It looks like we are going to probably face some persecution. But what's new? Um, there's another scripture that we're not going to turn to today that Jesus said, Do not be, see, be surprised if the world hates you. Come on. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Why? <laughs> Jesus answers the question. Because it first hated me. The world hated Jesus so much, what did they do? They nailed him to the cross. And praise God, they didn't even know they were falling into his hands. They thought they were going to get rid of Jesus, and he, they completely fell into his hands, didn't they? Amen? I mean, think of it. He had to come. That was what he was born to, to come and suffer and die in our place so that we could be saved. They didn't know that by crucifying him, they were actually doing Jesus a favor. And you're going, how, how in the world? See, they did him a favor because if he didn't die for us, we'd all still be lost in our sins. And he came to be a... I mean, he didn't, did he really want to die that way? No. He prayed in the gar garden three times. Lord, if all possible, let this cup that I'm going to have to... This cup that I have to drink, this death I have to take, could pass from me, but not my will, because his human side was going, I don't want to really do this. Have you ever been there? You know, you got to get up in the morning, the alarm clock goes off, and you got to go to work. 
Last thing you want to do is go to work today. You'd rather stay home with your wife and kids, right? Or, you, or mama, you'd rather stay home and be able to play with your children instead of having to go to work and you just go, oh, I don't want to have to do this, but you get dressed anyway and you go to work. Why? Because it's your responsibility. If you don't, there won't be food on the table. If you don't, you won't have a roof over your head. If you don't, you won't have that car to drive because you, you know, it's like the dwarf saying, hi ho, hi ho. It's actually, actually, we've kind of changed it now. I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go, right? And so you want to take care of your kids. You want them to have a better life. You want them to have better things. You want them to be able to go and play soccer. You want them to be able to, to do things, you know? And, and, and so you want to put clothes on your kids. So you go to work. But there's days you just feel like, but this was worse than work. My work. And you probably love your job. You probably enjoy your job. You probably get to work and say, boy, I'm, wow, I'm glad I came to work today. This has been a good day, and, and, and I'm having a good day here. But there's just sometimes you just get up, and it's like, oh, do I have to? The bed feels so nice and warm this morning. Boy, I'm just cuddled in just right. But this is not like Jesus. Jesus was having a, he knew what he was going to suffer. He knew what he was going to go to. And the Bible says he counted it all joy because he knew we would be saved. He counted it all joy. Why? Because he loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, we're, we're probably going to face some hard times, but you know what? Jesus is still on the throne, and he said to us, he promised us, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So they might be thinking, oh, we're going to get stick it to them. But you know what? Don't worry about it. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let's lift up Jesus even higher. Let's praise him even stronger. Paul says, for me to live is, to, is Christ, to die? Well, that's just game. Right? Come on. And Paul lived to be an old guy, even though he got beat up a lot. <laughs> right? He got stoned once. I, I, they threw rock, you guys don't, you guys who haven't read your Bible much, they threw rocks at him until he fell down as dead, and, and he got up and went back in the city and preached even more. Hmm. I gotta, I gotta explain some things, because people think, you know, they, there's more meaning to say words today. It's all Hal's fault. It's his generation who changed words. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, this is what's required of you to take up your cross. Verse 34 says of chapter 8, and when, he had called his, and when he had called the people unto himself with the disciples also, he said unto them, Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. O oh Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word today. Let it sink deep into our hearts. Lord, let it be real. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds to receive from the Holy Spirit today. And Lord, implant this good word into our hearts and let it grow. And Lord, help us to reach others for Christ. Lord, we thank you that you only ask us to take up our cross because you already been nailed to it. And so we praise you. In Jesus' name, and I thank you for your anointing. Amen.
You have to take up your cross, the Bible says. Whosoever will come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself. What are you supposed to deny? You know, we see that. Let him deny himself. Oh, okay, I'll just deny myself. Okay, self, I deny you. Um, okay, how? What am I supposed to deny? Well, here we go. You're supposed to deny your own strength, your own ability, your own talent, your own power, and your own carnal intellect. That does not mean that God will not have you use them. It means you are not relying on them. You rely on the Holy Spirit instead. You rely on Jesus instead. So instead of trying to do it in your own strength, you're doing it in his strength. I can do all things, what? In Christ who strengthens me. Wow, now that, isn't that interesting? So we deny our own strength and we take Christ's strength because Christ's strength is so much better than our strength. Right? If, if Jesus held, holds the whole world together by his will, and if he held himself on the cross, isn't he much stronger than you and me? Come on. So we do it by his. We do it by his thoughts, his intellect. Now he'll use our, our, our intellect, he'll use our smarts, but if we rely, you see, that's how the writers of the book, how the writers of the Bible did it. They denied self. They denied their own intellect, and yet God used them in their own intellect. Because if you read, you can, you can definitely tell the books that John wrote from the books that Paul wrote, right? John uses flowery language. John paints beautiful pictures, does he not? Paul, this is how it is. Here, I'm going to put it right in your face. There it is. That's how it is. Just, just the facts. Nothing but the facts. Here we go. That's what it is. John goes, oh. And Christ, and, and he who stood before me had feet of jasper. Right? And out of his mouth came a two-edged sword. Paul would have said, out of his mouth came his tongue, and it was like, a, like he was cutting me with it. <laughs> you see why Paul wasn't allowed to write the book of Revelations, and John was? I mean, John goes, and his number shall be 666. Paul would have said, and his name will be Floyd. <laughs> That's just the difference between the two men. But God used their own intellect, their own style of writing, and yet they didn't rely on their own intellect when they wrote the Word. They relied on the Holy Spirit and wrote what the Lord would have them to write. Right, does that start to make sense? You might be talented, but the Holy Spirit... Can you imagine? I could get up here and... I wish I could. I, I could get up here and play our piano beautifully. I wish I had that talent. I've been getting things in my feed to tell me, oh, you could easily learn how to play the piano. Maybe I'll take it up on them and see if it works. It's supposed to be the easiest instrument to learn to play. 
But I, I don't know about that. You know. I, the thing is about a piano, you can't put it in your knapsack and take it with you. <laughs> it's pretty, you know, it's a pretty big thing. But um, I wish I had. Sister Krista's going to be here for the ladies' retreat, right? And she's going to be leading worship, and she can play that piano beautifully. You know, when we have Jody, our missionary to the Philippines, come, she can play the piano beautifully. And we go, oh, listen to her play. When the overseer comes, he can play the piano pretty good. I have to say it that way because that's what he says. So I, I'm not going to, you know. He plays it really well, doesn't he? It's a, it's a gift. It's a talent. But I love to, I had to borrow um, our history book for our, our, our movement, Like a Mighty Army for um, Timing and she took it home, but this is the revised edition because so much has happened since the original was written that they had to edit things out. In the original book, it told about a general assembly, and one of the pastor's wives, oh, she always wanted to play the piano, and, and, but she couldn't play. She just was tone deaf, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she walked up onto the platform, sat down on the piano, and started playing beautifully, and it was all because of the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit can use us outside of ourselves. And then we know it's the Lord. Amen? When we rely on His strength, His ability, His power, His intellect. Because doesn't our carnal intellect fail us? Oh, my word. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And then he says here, take up the cross. Now, not as suffering as many suppose. There's been many during history supposing, oh, this is, you've got to suffer, suffer, suffer. You've got to beat yourself to get to Jesus. They, they did that in the Middle Ages. They, they would whip themselves and crawl on glass to get to the Lord. And it's like, no, you're, not, you're misreading this. It's not as suffering as many suppose. Jesus did the hard work for us. He was nailed to it. He suffered. He died on the cross. He took our place. Rather, this means when we take up our cross, we are taking up the benefits of the cross. So this is not a negative. This is a positive. What are the benefits of the cross? You're saved. Number one benefit. Number two, you realize what Jesus did for you on that cross. It's finished. That sin, it's finished. That addiction, it's finished. That problem, it's finished. That dumb thinking of yours, it's finished. <clears throat> if you just bring it to me and lay it at the foot of the cross and leave it there, it's finished. <coughs> Psychology would say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Jesus from the cross would say, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, you are set free, you are an overcomer, and it is finished. You no longer are an alcoholic if you give it to me. You see? But you don't tempt the Lord by going ahead and start drinking again. <coughs> if the Lord sets you free from something, stay away from it. Come on. And sometimes it takes a while because we don't realize what he did. We don't realize he said it is finished. Stay away from it. Don't tempt yourself with it. Get away from it. Be like Joseph. Flee 
from it. You know, Joseph, out of all the characters in the Bible, is the closest to Jesus as a type of Christ. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but he comes closest to Jesus in his life. And then he says, and follow me. This is implying that Jesus cannot be followed unless it's by way of the cross. The first step is by asking Jesus into your heart as Lord and Savior. Hmm. However, this verse also comes with anticipation. That our walk with the Lord will not always be easy, will it? The days... As I've said, the days of easy church is over with, and Paul tells us throughout the epistles to expect tribulations. And you know what tribulation is? It's, you know what it, the, the definition of tribulation? Just great pressure. Oh, my word, some of us already felt that already in our lives. <laughs> oh, you mean I've already had some tribulation in my life? Yep, he's not, we're not talking about the great tribulation that's going to come to the earth and prayerfully and hopefully we're, we're correct in our understanding of end time things and that we're all raptured out of here before it all starts. Amen? Hopefully we, we go before the tribulation begins. Some are saying that we'll go through some of the tribulation and get out of here before the great tribulation happens. Well, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, the tribulation is a seven-year period in the Bible found in the book of Daniel and Revelation and Ezekiel and, and, and uh, Zechariah. And so you, you have these things mentioned. Jesus talks about the tribulation. But the great tribulation is the last half of the tribulation, the three and a half years. Now remember this. It doesn't matter if we go through any of it because God's wrath is not poured out on the church. God's wrath is not, may, is not for his people. Isn't that good? And when we get raptured, and I believe, I'm believing, I'm hoping, I'm believing that we are raptured at the beginning, right at the beginning of the tribulation, because if the church is out of the way, then the devil can have his way, right? But the Holy Spirit doesn't leave, as some think. Holy Spirit stays because people are still going to get saved during the tribulation period, right? And, and, and isn't there a whole bunch of Jews going to get saved during the tribulation? 144,000, sorry Jehovah Witnesses, uh, it's not you. It's the God's people, the Jewish people. They're going to get saved. And don't you think they're going to need the Holy Spirit just as much as the church? But the church age is going to end. The church age comes, the age of the Gentiles comes to an end. And because the Bible says the age of the Gentiles comes to an end, there's got to be what happens with the Gentile church then. Right? Because the Bible is clear. Our time becomes less, and the Jews becomes greater. God starts dealing with the Jews again. So there must have something been done about the church. Well, praise God. We call that the second resurrection. We call that the rapture. And I say resurrection because there's some people don't believe in the rapture because it's not, the word's not found in the Bible. Because we've had a lot of people not discipled in the Word of God anymore. We've had a lot of people who've never understood because nobody ever taught them about end times things. And, and so the, all the rapture is is the second, the second 
resurrection. And there's actually two parts of that resurrection. There's the first part for the church. The second part is that comes at the end when every, when all those who are saved during the tribulation are also, and who were martyred, are resurrected. And by the way, if you get martyred, that's not a bad deal. You know there's an award for that? There's a reward for being martyred. You get to be at the center of everything. You get to hang out under the throne of God. Um, wait a second. You mean I'm that close to the Lord? That's pretty cool. And you know what you get to say? Hey, Father, when are you going to pour out your vengeance for what they did to me? <laughs> you remember, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And so they, and we get to say that to them. And you know what? Nobody gets in trouble for saying it. That's pretty cool. Because you know what? A lot, there's been a lot of martyrs since the beginning of time for the Lord. Amen? And you know what? God rewards them with being close to Him. Because my word, to, be, to die for Him. You know, the early church thought that was a privilege. They really did. What is truly important in the light of eternity verse 35 through 37 says for whosoever shall save, will save his life shall lose it but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels the same shall save it for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul well, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mm. Now let's look at that a little closer. Is it riches or fame that's important? Even Christians get caught up in this. You know, in America, we, we, we have celebrity ministers today. And you know what? I do not begrudge anybody who has success winning souls for Jesus. But we got mega churches today and people go ahead or so. You know what? The, the age of the mega church has come to an end though. It really has. And COVID has actually um, shown us that. People are wanting to be discipled today. People want a closeness to the Lord today. And so the mega, the mega churches are having this pivot they're starting to pivot. They're seeing that, that God wants them to do church differently. It's no longer about come to church and be seen. No, it's about relationship. Amen? It, it, it's about not, not just teaching. It's, it's about empowering people to be able to do for Jesus themselves. Of course, that generation who loved just to come and take notes and, and learn they're all in heaven today, almost all of them now. Now we need to, we need to and, and they were a workforce for Jesus. Now we need to get people empowered. Why? Because their kids, we entertained too much. We did. We need to empower them. That's why I'm excited about um, the folks we have in our church. They want to be empowered. They want to do, they want to help. I want to get more kids in Awana because I got some folks who really want to help out with the kids and do more. They need to be mentored. Man, the things they're getting taught in school and the things that are coming down from the Department of Education is not good. 
Start to compare your life, your priorities in light of eternity, what is truly important. For whoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. Let's look at that first phrase. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. This simply is saying that if you don't, if you refuse to place your life in Christ, if you look to any other way than Jesus and the cross, you will lose your, life, your eternity, your, your soul. Your, you'll, here, here's the fact. You'll be sending yourself to hell. But you can avoid hell by accepting Jesus into your heart. That's a good thing, isn't it? And then he says, But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. To place one's life, one's life eternally, entirely in Christ, which can only be done by way of the cross, and on doing so, save one's life, that person does so forever. So, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, boy, that's denying yourself, accepting Jesus, and you'll live forever. What a difference. I can either have heaven or I can have hell. I can either have an eternity of wonder and love and excitement and doing, or I can have eternity of fire that never goes out, eternal separation from God, loneliness, and I've done it to myself. You know the problem with hell, there's no exit. Another problem with hell, there's no air conditioning. <laughs> Another problem with hell, there's always torment. Another problem with hell, you know what you rejected. Such great salvation. Another problem with, there's so many problems with going to hell and you're just so miserable. In fact, Jesus told the story about the difference between being in paradise and the difference in being in hell. And the, the man who was in hell, it was so miserable. He was gnashing his own tongue because of the torment. Gnashing his tongue? Well, I know you don't hear sermons about hell. I hope I'm not turning some people off, but I'm just trying to get you so you don't go there. You have Jesus in your heart. You don't have Jesus in your heart. Get Jesus in your heart and you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go to hell. God didn't make hell for us. He made hell for the devil and his angels. However, when we refuse Christ, we are sending ourselves there. God doesn't send us there. We do it to ourselves because we have a free will. He gives us a choice. Is it going to be here with heaven and with me or in hell, eternally separated? And you're not going to have a party down there. There's no party, not whatsoever. It's a very, very lonely place. I would choose Jesus. I would, I would deny yourself. I would lose your life by accepting Jesus. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Right? That doesn't mean we lose who we are. We're still going to have our personalities, but we'll be better. We'll be so much better. 
For what, verse 36 says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Okay, Bodhi's going to like this. This here is a simple equation of profit and loss. This is a math problem. This is a simple equation of profit and loss, which states that your soul is worth more than the whole world. Isn't that cool? By the way, our American debt is, let me give you what that means. Our American debt is getting to the point where if we took everything in the world, all everything, I mean, we have a yard sale. We take every single thing, the oil, the gold, everything, to the, the silly little trinkets we get at the Dollar Tree. And, and we have a big yard sale and we sell it all. It will not be worth the debt. We're almost to that point. Can you imagine that? That's how big the debt's getting. We, nobody ever talks about the debt anymore because nobody cares. You know, let's just keep on printing money in one day. It'll take care of itself sometime in the future, right? But that's how it is. So, but your soul is worth more than all, everything in the world and the world combined. Can you imagine that? That's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 37, Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul is eternal. Once you were conceived, your soul became an, you became an eternal being. Therefore, it's worth more than anything. And make sure it's safe with Jesus. It, and it's easy to make a deposit. All you have to do is, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. And now you are safe in the arms of Jesus. Can you say praise the Lord? All you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart and surrender your life to Him. And this brings us to our last verse for the morning. How could a Christian, uh, but there are those today who are, but how could a Christian be ashamed of Jesus and His words? Jesus said, Whosoever, verse 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Now he's talking about not just the generation that he was with the Jews when he was going to the cross, but he's looking forward to our generation before he comes back. So whoever shall therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the son of man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels i i couldn't believe it a couple of years ago we had some people in our church and we were trying to push on put a big push on to evangelism evangelize our town we had a whole program for evangelizing and i had the whole church everybody was excited about it except for two people and they got mad because we wanted to get people saved well if you're ashamed of jesus before this sinful generation and by the way every 
generation since the Lord came, from the beginning of time itself, has been sinful. And every generation has been adulterous. Can we say amen to that? But we're living in the time that Jesus was foretelling about before his coming. And he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of you before my father. That's not a good place to be. Can you imagine having Jesus ashamed of you before the father? Christian, we should never be there. And that's why I can't understand how anybody could be ashamed after what Jesus has done for us, how he died for us, how he gave himself on the cross for us, how he took upon our sin, our sickness, our disease, all that, all the mess we are on that cross. And he took it upon, and he substituted himself for me. How could I ever be ashamed of him? And I'm, I'm 100% sure that everybody here feels the same way, that nobody could be ashamed of Jesus. And we could not deny him. Amen? And yet when Peter denied him, what did Jesus say when he rose from the tomb? We didn't get to this in our Sunday school lesson. What did he tell, the lady, tell Mary? Go t- tell my followers and Peter and Peter. That's how much he loves us. When we mess up, go tell them and me. Go tell them and you. That's how much he loves us. It doesn't matter how much we mess up, he will still send the Holy Spirit after us because he, he loves us. Because when we give our hearts to Jesus, he'll do anything, everything to set us straight. Amen? Think about the price Jesus paid for our salvation. I can't see how anybody could be ashamed of that. And I believe this is going to become more important in the days to come. We need to learn how to take a stand for Jesus and the message of his cross. So let us confess him before the world. Because there's only one way to be saved. If this bill gets passed that we talked about in Sunday school, if this bill gets passed in Congress, uh, in the Senate, and signed by the President, and there's something he wants to sign, it's going to make it harder for us to tell people about Jesus. About five years ago, believe it or not, in England, there was a parade going on, and this young, young child went to a Christian school, and they were just giving out Bible tracts along the side of the road. During the, the, and what's wrong with giving out Bible tracts? Telling people about Jesus, how he can set them free from sin. That child was arrested. And because that pamphlet, that Bible tract talked about sin, they were arrested for hate speech. This bill that will if it gets passed in the Senate, because there's no safeguards for the church, could put us in a place that we are said, because we believe this, that we believe in hate speech. Can I tell you the good news? There's no hate speech in this book. <laughs> this whole book is about God's love. This, is, this whole book is about how much God loves you. This whole book is about how to be set free and feel the love of God. I'm telling you something. 
if you go ahead and you just excuse everything and let people go off to hell, how is that being loving? No, we're supposed to warn people. We, we're supposed to tell them. And so we're going to be respectful. We're going to be loving about it. But we're going to tell them the truth of God's word. And we're going to have to learn how to take a stand. Jesus says we, Jesus warned us that we're going to have to be smart like serpents, but gentle as lambs in the last days. When I got, I grew up Lutheran in the Missouri Synod Church, and so um, we had to have, um, our class had to have a um, life verse for our class. And the other confirmation class that met in the evenings took the one that we wanted. It was a cool verse. But we had gotten the verse that talked about us being as wise as serpents and gentle as lambs. And you know what? It really applies today. It really applies. That doesn't mean we're being wise as serpents. That means we're cunning, we're smart, we're using our brains. No, we, might have to, we might have to be more careful how we say things on Facebook. Come on. I might have to think of different ways. I might not be able to do Sunday sermons on Facebook any longer or YouTube any longer. We, we'll, we'll probably do it through our own streaming service um, that we're working towards looking at having. But we'll probably do other things on Facebook and YouTube. Why? Because we got to be smart. Because you know what? I don't want to hold back anything. I want to teach you the whole counsel of God. I don't want to have some rules by big tech saying, you can't do this, you can't. I want to tell the whole counsel. Right now, I can do that. Right now, Facebook's not worried about what I say. I don't go around hating on people. I don't go telling people to do naughty things and and terrible things, right? I tell people, let's go tell them about Jesus. Let's, let, let's help people get saved. That's what we're supposed to be about. You know, I don't tell anybody to worship anybody else but Jesus. We just do, we're, we just preach the whole word of God, that's all, and they don't have any problem with that. But if this new bill gets passed, things will get changed. But you know what? I can't compromise. What God calls sin is sin. Oprah asked T.D. Jake's opinion on something once, and he looked right at her, and he says, Oprah, it doesn't matter what my opinion on that is. It's God's opinion that matters, and God's opinion is my opinion, and that settles it. That's how we have to be. And we have, and by the way, if this thing gets passed, all, it's going to force us Christians to actually live what we believe. You see, if we actually live what we believe, as our Canadian brothers and sisters in Christ have learned in Canada, they can't touch us. If we actually live what we say, we believe. So in some ways, it might make the church better. Somebody asked, said to me, they thought I was thinking that because I said we need to pray and we need to contact our senators about this bill. That... I had an attitude about the sky falling. I said, I'm not worried about that. That's why I say we start praying. We pray first because our God is all-powerful. But let me tell you something. Make sure your soul is secure in Christ by asking him into your heart today. Because Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let us pray. 
Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this message today. And I pray that everyone here at our campus, there on our digital campus, Lord, that you've spoken to all of our hearts, Lord. That it's time that we really get serious about taking up our cross and following you. That, Lord, we start to rely on you more and more in these days as the day of Christ approaches, the day of the Lord, the day when you're coming back. And so, Lord, I pray that you will use each and every one and that, Lord, you will empower us to tell others how to get saved. That's so important, Lord, and we praise you for it. So, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each one who's here and each one who's viewing Lord, touch each of us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit and use us to share the gospel with others. Help us to do it wisely and also with compassion. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me, if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart, don't wait any longer. Go ahead, ask him into your heart today. Say, church, why don't you pray this to help them at home if they're listening right now. Pray with me if you want to have Jesus as your Savior. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of all my sins. The mess my life is. And thank you, Jesus. I put my trust in you. I count on your strength to help me overcome this world. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, this is our altar call for you at home. If you prayed that prayer with me, I just want you to go down to that I care button, that one that's a happy face is holding the heart. Just click on that. I just want to know, I want to celebrate with you and see that you got saved today. If you ask Jesus in your heart as your Savior, just click. I don't care if you're watching this a couple of days from now, from Sunday. If you've asked Jesus in your heart, go ahead and click on that. I want to celebrate you in prayer. I want to say thank you, Jesus, for Susie. I want to thank you, Jesus, for Floyd. Thank you, Jesus, for um, whoever gave their heart to you, Lord because we want to make sure we're making a difference in your life and we want to be praying for you. So just click on that. That's how we'll know um, that you are saved. And by the way, if you just joined us today, click up on the thumbs up button. Say, hey, I was here. Click that because we want to say, hey, and back to you. And just click on that. And so that'd be great. And so we're so glad that you could join us. This is New Life. I'm Pastor David Kufal. We're located at 1021 South Center Street in Wapiton, North Dakota. And again, if you live in the tri-state area, come on over and join us live and uh, be with us at 10.30, uh, 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, 10.30, of course, on Facebook Live, but 10 o'clock for service and 6 o'clock on Thursday nights. And of course, for those who view all the time, you know we come on at 6.30. Well, God bless you. We'll see you later.